Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome in to the Flow Track Podcast, everyone. I'm Kevin, joined by Gordon. Wednesday morning episode, a couple days before Gordon hits the road to go back to one of his top 10 favorite states. Gordon, good morning. How are you? Uh, doing good. Um, yeah, leave tomorrow. And then I'm going to go on a little mini vacation. I'm going to go to Sedona, go to Grand Canyon. Have you ever been to Grand Canyon? I have, but I was very small. I do not have any recollection of going, but I've been there. So, yeah, very small. So, abuse. I heard uh, I've been there when I was also very small. So, I wonder if the size of it will shrink because I got bigger. So, my perspective of it <laughs> changed because I was a smaller person. Uh, but yeah, so it'll be a good week going out to Flagstaff for some workouts and then doing a little R&R while mm. we get ready for. What's going to be a, a wild final few weeks before the trials, right? We're about nine weeks out for the Olympic trials. Um, people still need to get their marks in. Uh, it's going to be a rush to the finish line uh, to get to Eugene. Absolutely. That's a great way to describe it. And on today's show, we're going to preview the West Coast Relays, which is shaping up to be a sensational meet this weekend for collegiate athletes in particular. Also talk about the latest in the Tinman Elite coaching story. But first, I wanted to start with your Olympic trials qualifier list posted, or the Olympic trials list. You didn't know who's in and posted. You did the research on on who's in and who has the Olympic standard. Can you walk us through what's up on the site and what people can find there and why it might be useful? Yeah. So if you go to flowtrack.org rankings and click on the 2021 U.S. Olympic trials, trials qualifiers list. I put everything in one section. Basically, you scroll on this for people watching on YouTube. It has every event for athletes, uh, basically what USATF looks at their current mark because USATF takes marks all the way back to 2019, January 1. I list if they have the auto standard for the trials, if 
they have the Olympic standard for the Olympics, so yes or no. Uh, also, if they don't have the auto standard for the trials, if they have the field of field standard, meaning if they are still in the top 30 or top 24, whatever the field size is for the trials, would they still get in with a mark that isn't the trials standard? And then also the next people out. And the reason why I included people out is because obviously not everyone will enter every event. So right. you can kind of look at the list and be like, hey, even though I'm ranked 32nd and 30 get to go, I think there's going to be two people in that top 30. Like maybe Donovan Brazier doesn't run the 400, which is probably something likely. So it's a good way <laughs> to figure out uh, who can make the trials, who won't, and also who has the standard, right? And it's kind of interesting because there are some people who have this, who don't have the standard, but they have a mark that gets them in. So I'm trying to find a, a good example. Um, basically, the situation is if people ran fast in 2020, USATF recognized that mark, but the Olympic Standard Committee did not because they turned 2020 into a, a non-don't-run year, whatever. And then also, I have a, a setting called in-rankings quota. So if you bring that up on the screen, if you if your mark, for instance, let's look at this men's 800. Right now, uh, mm -hmm. Donovan Brazier, Bryce Hopple, Clayton Murphy, Craig Engels, Devin Dixon, all have the Olympic standard. But then the next three people in line right there, Brandon Kidder, Isaiah Harris, and Eric uh, Sawinski, while they don't have the standard, they have the in-rankings quota standard. And what that means is they may not have run a fast enough time, but in the eyes of the World Athletics Federation, they have a high enough yeah. world ranking that USATF could select them and IAAF or from world rank, the World Ranking Committee will accept them into the Olympics because their ranking is high enough, which is going to be a factor. There will be, I think a handful of athletes who go to the Olympics without the Olympic standard, but they get in because they have a, a good world ranking. So it's something to keep track of. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'll update this list One question. every few weeks and uh, you can keep track. One question we've got, and it's probably shared by a bunch of people out there is the 10,000. Do you know anything yeah. about the 10,000? IE if there's more than 24 qualifiers, or more than 24 people who decide to run that race, what they're going to do? Are they going to expand the field? I think the idea of adding heats to the 10K is out. I don't think that's a possibility. But do you know what they're going to do in the 10,000? I don't know what they're going to do, but I can assume what they'll do is if you have the standard, you're going. They're not going to not let someone go with who has the standard, right? And I think in the yeah. women's situation in the 10K, I think if you scroll down to the women – how many people have the standard in the 10K currently? Keep let's scrolling. put that up right now. Pull yeah, that let's up. put that up so people can see. Yeah, if you scroll all the way down. It's so long. Keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. There it is. All right, so 38, <laughs> so 38 women have the standard for a field of 24. That's an extra 14. Yeah. There may be even more to come. I think what will happen is – I think they'll put them all in one giant heat. And I think, hey, if the right. NCA can handle a 10K prelim with 48 people on the track, I think the Olympic trials can handle a 10K final with 40 people on the track. It will be weird. 
I think what they'll do is they'll say, hey, the better the people with the faster standard get the front line. The people at the with this who aren't as fast get be in line two behind them. And they just go. I mean, it's fine. 25 laps is a long enough time to spread it out for 40 plus people. I think I think it'll be fine. I agree. I agree. I mean, the idea that they would somehow add in a section here to yeah. especially especially for the women's 10,000 which comes at the end you're going to have just because you're going to have people who make the team you're going to have people who are injured men's 10 might be a little bit different at the front but yeah it's um it's inter- it's a it's a deep list there the 1500 i think is going to be interesting too when it comes to the who has it who's in the quota versus who has the time qualifier that's going to be something to watch there too, because we've been talking about the big three for a couple months now, <laughs> with uh, Centro, Engels, and and Thompson. So who who else in that men's fifteen can make yeah. it just based Check. on where they are in the world rankings? Check this out. Look at the men's list on the screen. We'll bring that up. So the top three have the standard, right? Then Henry Wynn, who has the fourth fastest time, is not in the rankings quota, but Johnny Gregorik, mm-hmm. who has the fifth fastest time, is. Right, and then Kidder, yeah. Tier, and Hawker don't have it. But then the ninth best guy, Sam Prakel, is in the rankings quota. Dahmer Brazier's not, but then the eleventh best guy is in the rankings quota. And if you scroll all the way down, again for people watching on YouTube, go all the way down to the people who are out. Look who look who currently isn't in the the field. You have the USA Mile champion and Eric Avila, who currently has a thirty eighth fastest fifteen hundred. And Yair Nagus, a man who we think can challenge for an Olympic team spot, who has only run 338 since 2019, who's currently ranked 39th. So there's a lot of movement coming soon to the 1500. I assume Eric Avila will be making the trials. Uh, he'll have to improve mm-hmm. on his 38, 338.3. And Yair Nagus, same thing. So there's just a lot of uh, interesting things going on in the men's 1500. And, uh, we just have to wait for them to start running fast, right? We need fast 1500s. We can't just rely on the Josh Kerrs and Oliver Hors and Jacob <laughs> Engelbritsons to come in and run fast. We need Americans to do it. They're not going to save you. They're not going to save you. Okay. We could see some fast distance races this weekend, uh, although mostly on the collegiate, this West Coast race on Flow Track. People can check it out. I wanted to zoom in on a couple events, and we'll just go in distance order here, Gordon. So we'll start with the women's eight, then we'll do the the fifteen hundreds. The women's steeple is stacked, and then the five Ks and the ten Ks. Let's start first, though, with this uh, women's this women's eight hundred list here. You can see the start list up on the screen there, headlined by Sage Herda, the indoor champ from Colorado. Carly Thomas of Washington also in there. And then BYU, a good chance to see how many points BYU potentially has outside of Orton and Weymouth in the 800 because they're going to run with Camp, Alina Ellsworth, Lauren Ellsworth, and Claire Seymour, who are all potential point scorers at the NCAA meet. But we'll get a chance to see just how good uh, that group is in the women's 800. Yeah, Sage Herter is kind of an interesting – athlete to watch she's been running on fire everywhere she goes she's she's run two flat multiple times on the track she's even dropped down into the 400 runs the fast 400 times 
uh, and she's the the mild champion indoors. But the thing is, Sage Herder has this weird situation. Which, like, all right, what is my lane? Is my lane to run the eight hundred or the fifteen hundred? Because you know, if she goes into the eight hundred, you're running against someone who's run. <laughs> you're running against a thing mo. She's a thing mo's gonna yeah. run the eight hundred. I think this year she's not gonna dodge it for four hundred like she did indoors. So you have to think maybe Sage Herda may once again be one of the better 800-meter runners in the country but opt to do the 1500 because there's more of an opportunity to win another na- national title the way she did that indoors. Yeah. I mean, if you're Sage Herda, if you're Sage Herda's coach, what do you, t- what do, you do uh, going into NCAAs? Do you try to ride an 800 or do you go back into the 1500? 1500, I think, because I think a thing was going to run the 800. I think Mo's run 157 in the 800 this season. And 1500 is still going to be difficult with people like Whitney Orton in the mix. But I mean, Hurt has been running well. You see this indoor performance that she had. That was at 431 in Ames. But just this past weekend in Eugene, it was a little bit under the radar because she was in that, in that pro race, right? Runs 408 in the 15. That's a. 408 is a solid time for a collegiate runner. So I think one of the two or three people you'd think of as a potential 1,500-meter champion, whereas in the 800, it's a thing Mo, obviously Aaliyah Miller, the indoor eight champ, and then and then it would be Herda. I don't know. Maybe Herda and Miller are, are equal, but Mo is just so far ahead of everybody else. It seems like you'd go for – the, the win here and you have a chance at winning in that in that 1500 yeah uh i mean i agree with you um do you think she could break two at the west coast relays now that she's going up I against some fast byu women and uh washington athlete yeah so she ran what two two flat 62 in phoenix which, which was her pb 100 percent. so any other year you'd be talking about this being a really difficult choice, eight or fifteen, especially if she runs, say she runs one fifty nine Any other year, you'd say Man, maybe she should be the the hundred, but there needs to be a one fifty seven person in the NCAA this year. Which I know you don't want to base your entire championship racing plans around one person, but if the goal is to win, you need to factor in that you have a all time talent in your event this year, which is just part of the game. Men's 1500 at the West Coast Relays, I think, could be one of the better events uh, coming up. Mm-hmm. We It's it's deep beyond deep. Uh, I was trying to <laughs> skim through the names of who I thought was notable, and I got to over 12. I think I got to so many names that probably people on this list would be in heat too and not just in the invite heat. But running through the list, you have someone like Sam Tanner, Washington, Sam Prakel, Adidas, Nico Young running the 15, Connor Mance, Mixed. Stanisvek of Washington, BYU's Talon Franco and Lucas Bonds and Casey Klinger, more Washington guys and Cruz Culpepper, Leo Doshbach. Remember Leo Doshbach? He was the the man of 2020, breaking four in high school. Eduardo Herrera of Colorado, Theo Quacks of Northern Arizona, Chris Ali, he's now a post-collegiate. But yeah, Sam Tanner, I think, is the headliner here going up against Sam Prekel, who, you know, is a great uh, U.S. athlete as well. Um, 
what do you think they run? I mean, we haven't seen Tanner. Uh, has he run a 1500 yet this season? I mean, no. basically, everyone is on the UW staff are all coming in all in on the 1500 because he got Prakel there and then also Mick and Kuz Culpepper and Leo Doshbach, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so this is what we have from Tanner since he ran at NCAAs and went out in the first round. The only thing I have on him is a 148-800. Uh, and I believe, yeah, we got his T-first page up right there. Yeah, it looks like just the 148 800. So he's got something to prove. I think I think we're going to see something quick. Obviously, both of his 1,500-meter times from the winter were really quick. He ran that uh, 336, and he ran the 334 uh, in, in New York indoors, which was just nuts, breaking that national record. I, I don't know, though. Whatever he does, I don't know if I'm going to be sold just because I want to see him do it in a championship race because when you go out in the first round, you want some evidence that you can do it throughout the rounds. But I think, especially if Hawker, man, if Hawker decides he wants to do the 5,000, which I don't know if he's going to do, puts puts Tanner in a good spot against, against Nick Goose. But I'm just excited to see him race again because I want to see if he's able to continue what he did indoors because indoors was so good but it just it got overshadowed because he went out in the first round and then you had hawker completely steal the show there's an alternate reality there where tanner is the guy we're talking about out of indoors or it's like tanner slash tier as opposed to hawker now getting all of the attention or a lion's share of the attention yeah, it's so true. It's interesting thinking about different alternate realities. I mean, what do you th- what would the reality be if there was if cross country happened during the fall and then you had Yared Nagus in mm-hmm. the mix, you had a Luis Grijalva, you had the BYU guys. It would have been another right. unique combination of who would be talking about uh coming out. Um but yeah, I think Tanner's gonna go in here and I think he can run probably in the three thirty six, three thirty seven range if he wants it. I have mm-hmm. to imagine uh, he's already got the um, the ticket to the Olympics, so that's off his plate because he was he was announced to go to the Olympics with uh, his countryman mm-hmm. uh, Nick Willis. What's the, what's the age gap between Sam Tanner and Nick Willis? So like twenty years. It's it's probably not twenty. It's years. hefty, almost. It's hefty. Well, let's see. <laughs> let's see. Sam Tanner is Sam Tanner's twenty. It's not twenty. It's not twenty so years like fully 18? because Nick thinks Nick Willis is is he thirty eight? Let's see. He is thirty eight. Yeah, about eighteen. Damn. So a whole Nico Young between them. They have a a whole a whole voting age person in between them. A whole voting age person. A whole uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he's going to go out fast. I think the having Tanner in that race is definitely going to pull along the rest of the field. And I think we'll see a lot of 1,500-meter PRs. I think someone like Nico Young will probably run lower in the 340s. I think he ran 344, Nico Young did. Um, We are getting another Nico Young versus uh, Casey Klinger match. Um, They race each other in the cross-country course. Not Casey Klinger versus Connor Connor Mance. Yeah, so Nico Mm -hmm. Young versus Connor Mance, um, 2.0, but this time in a 1,500. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Connor, uh, Connor Mance has wheels. It'll be interesting to see what he can do in an all-out 1500. And Nico Young now, after running 1324, you got to imagine he should be able to 
run closer to a sub 340 um, than not, right? I mean, most of the people who are running 1320s and better, they're all sub 340 guys. It's a, yeah, so his PB is 344. I have Mance's PB at 345. You're going to see a lot of grinding from the gun from the, from these two guys. <laughs> I guess they, they, they're going to hope the pace uh, goes out quick. The, yeah, it'll be kind of fun to to see the two 5k 10k cross country type specialists go at it in a in a 1500 i think we're going to see these the weather is supposed to be hot but not factor for the 15 as it would be for the longer stuff i mean yeah connor manch usually doesn't even start his and he starts his kick farther out than 1500 meters even in a cross country race so maybe he, he's going to get like the world's most intense warm-up i think before before this race in, in in fresno to get to get going uh you brought up culpepper and dashbach two young guys from colorado that are very interesting eduardo herrera as as well in the mix is running really fast five thousand um what do you expect to see from the the two young washington guys though culpepper and dashbach yeah i mean it's one of those things where they because if culpepper and dashbach lived in the era of like five to seven years ago they would be talked about so much more but because of the mm -hmm. talent in the, in the nation has just continued to get better and better they're you know because if you scroll down to their personal bests so that's their head-to-head -head, but if you scroll down to their personal bests i mean look at their personal best they both run 359 uh one run it outdoors mm -hmm. one's run it indoors and they both did that in like high school or first year in college they're like this young raw mm -hmm. talent, but the level of all of a sudden running 359 is the equivalent of running like 410 10 years ago. And so they 359 isn't enough anymore. In order to become an mm -hmm. elite, like a Cole Hawker type or Nico Young or uh, uh, a Sam Tanner type, you need to be 355 or better. So yeah. I'm sure training with Andy, they'll get them there. Um, but maybe it's going to be a year or two. Maybe they're sophomore, junior type years. Will be the years where they start entering that 355 range, being able to run sub 340 consistently, and of being in contention to win national titles. But yeah, man, Andy Powell has so much young talent, and Doshbach and Culpepper, um, and Sam Tanner. It's like rich of riches, uh, and it just never stops. You see this race here. This is Doshbach. Put that up on the screen. Dashbach yeah. running his sub four in high school in the middle of a pandemic. Badass right there. Look at that. That was his kick was impressive. That was last that was last year. You're right. Time has stood still and probably didn't get the the attention that it normally would have just because of how fast everybody uh has been running and how how common now sub fours have become, or at least not as uh not as once in a lifetime as, as they used to be, but yeah, he's got a close too, which is, which is what you want to have in a miler. He's not just going to grind it out and run 59 nines for every, every quarter. Good race there on tap with that 1500 man. Let's go. Let's go to the women's 15. Then women's 15 Whitney Orton 412 PB that comes from indoors. I have her uh beating that by a sizable amount in this race there's a there's a group of people who are racing this meat gourd like they're pete no obliterate their pr because this is fast race they've been in in a couple of years or they haven't run this event in a couple of years and i would put whitney orton 
on that list. Caitlin Tuohy is also in the race. She was a 414, 1500 PB and ran 416 this year. Arkansas is going to feature Chrissy Gear and Karina Villon. And BYU is also running uh, Anna Camp, Lauren Ellsworth, and Olivia Hoy. Uh, let's start here first with, with Orton. I mean, you were out there for that workout with her during the winter cross-country season, the one of only four workouts that she had during cross. We saw what she did in the NCAA championships, was in the mix until the last K, and then drifted back. But this is her event, the 15. I mean, she's been good at the, the five as well, too, and, and been good at cross-country. But I, I always just see her as a 1,500-meter runner because she's naturally just so aggressive. Yeah, Um she kind of is kind of falling in the in the boat of I think a Lewis Grijalva, who will be also in this mean the five k of this really great talent who has put down some fast track times but doesn't really have the NCAA moment and we kind of expected that NCAA moment to happen during the cross country season but it didn't happen I mean both of mm -hmm. them, Whitney Orton and Lewis Grijalva were preseason number ones I believe in cross country but both of them. You know, they're not meant to be the best in cross country. They're meant to be the best in their their niche event, which is either the 1500 or 5K. And I think we kind of we kind of give we kind of give athletes like Grijalva and Whitney Orton a little bit of a a ding on their resume because of cross country performance. But mainly it's because we're just searching for something to that's recent when really they just mm -hmm. haven't been able to been given an opportunity with both both of them didn't do indoors both of them didn't do indoors two years ago whatever uh and i think whitney orton will come out and be like hey i can run sub 410 i can challenge the lexus h herda and i could be an ncaa potential champion the same thing with luis grijalva in the 5k later on in this meet so yeah whitney orton i think it's kind of like a weird coming out party that she'll have is like don't forget about me uh, when that when the <laughs> when the grass becomes a track and the spikes are become uh, dragonflies, I'm ready to go. So put that in the back of a t-shirt, track coaches. That was good, <laughs> Gordon. Just giving you gold right there. I think we're gonna come away from the weekend because I think Herda and Or are both gonna run. We're gonna be talking about those two favorites for the 1500 on the women's side. I think that's going to be the, the takeaway from the West Coast Relays. There'll be other names in the mix, but I think those two are going to separate themselves. Tui, 414, I think is well within her range. She's already run a 416 weather weather dependent, and obviously that would be a good, good run for her. Running those 1200s indoors and on those DMRs probably helped. Like, she had an interesting indoor slash cross-country season because she was doing – you know, she had the cross country season, but she also was running these these distance medley relay legs. So she was in shape kind of for both things, which kept her sharp, I believe. I, I would expect her to run somewhere in the 410, 411 range if I had to pick. Do you think that the 1500 is a still an option for her in her career? Or do you think it's already solid that you're, you're 5K and up type athlete. I mean, kind of the way Grant Fisher came into college, she's like, yeah, I'm a miler. And then we're like, no, you're not. You're, you're, you're running the 5K <laughs> your entire time in college. Yeah. I think long term, she's a 5 and 10. But 
I still think she can just based on how good she is in those events, you know, running 50 in the 1530s in the 5,000, she can run some good, some good 1500 meter marks as well. Maybe 410 with the weather, maybe 410, 411 is a little, a little ambitious, but I think she can PB. I think she can dip under four, 414 in this race and definitely is get a, a season best here. Is there anybody from that other group that you're looking at as a potential, I don't even want to say surprise because all these women have accomplished uh, big things on the championship stage, but gear, Villon, someone like that, camp. Is there anybody else, any sleepers? Yeah, I would say Olivia Hodge. Hoj, how do you say H O J? Hoy. How do you say that? Hoy. Hoy. Olivia Hoy of BYU, I think, is a sleeper. And then also, I think Chrissy Gear of Arkansas. Um, she's a good mileage. You see that Instagram photo of her and Avilion. Um, yeah, so Arkansas can kind of sneak in, maybe get the win. But it's going to be a Whitney Orton win. Pretty sure it's a matter of it's like her versus the clock. Mm hmm. All right, women's steeple. This is another one where I think the NCAA championship picture is going to be reoriented after this weekend because Courtney Wayman of BYU, the two-time NCAA indoor champion, is running her first steeple since 2017, Gordon, where she had a mark of uh, 10.04. I think she's going to smash that. That was four years ago. I think she's going to crush it. I think she's going to run sub 950 and in that race is is hannah steelman who is one of the best in the nation so we'll get to see steelman versus Wayman, which could end up being a preview of what we see at the ncaa championship we still do we know for sure like camelli gonna do people idea on that if of who's gonna do the steeple don't don't we have camelli Joyce Camelli in the in the people right now. Oh our, yeah, Joyce Camelli. Yeah. To be honest, man, I have no idea. They're all all these women. They're running the eights. They're running the tens, the fives, the steeples, the fifteen hundreds. <laughs> they're not making it easy to figure out. They're kind of just like, oh yeah. And yeah. then that's the problem, man. We, people need to just. What, what's the secret? Who are you trying to hide it from? Just let us know. You should be able to put on your T first page. I am doing this event, so you know, so I can <laughs> accurately rank events. Um, yeah, someone like Katie Rainsberger all of a sudden, you can see, put up yeah. a little video of her running the steeple. She just started running the steeple her fifth year senior year, right? This, she's like, mm -hmm. all right, I'm going to become a steeple chaser. Um, you can see her on the screen there. Yeah. So you don't know anymore. Everyone is running the steeple. Everyone's not running it. You have everyone's running 15. <laughs> everyone's in five, 10. I mean, we're going to see Shelby Houlihan running a 10 K in a few weeks. So like, I don't even know anymore. These women, there's all the range is all over the place. You're standing by that. I like that. That's a, you've been out there on an island for a couple of weeks now. When that entry list gets posted, you're just going to see Gordon pumping his fist. It's going to be remarkable. I think, though, Waymit, obviously, you saw how good she was in the 3K and indoors. I think she's going to be a, a great steepler. I think the plan, when I talked to the, the coach after indoors, I think, or maybe it was during indoors. I said, oh, so Courtney's going to focus on the 5K outdoors? She's like, no, steeple. And then I was like, wait, what? She's a steepler? And then I had to go all the way back and realize, okay, yeah, in 2017, she did run the steeple. There's some talent there, though. Obviously, Adva Cohen is in there uh, in the rankings. You got people like Charlotte Prouse, Camelli, we mentioned, Chrissy Gear, Steelman, Jennings, Devin Clark. There's a lot of experience there, but 
lame it right now, it would be tough to pick against her, assuming she can get over the barriers just because how good she's good, how good she is in a flat, a flat five or sorry, flat, uh, flat 3000. Yeah. Uh, we just need to know who the field is, right? Because like you said, you just mentioned Chrissy yeah, gear, yeah. but she's in the 1500 here and she ran the mile yeah. indoors. So it's like, what's going on, man. I'll, anyway, mm-hmm. Chris, Courtney Wayman, I think though the question is, does Wayman want to try to go all in on the steeple and be like, Hey, maybe I should try to run in the low nine thirties, potentially crack a nine thirty to maybe try to get the Olympic standard. I mean, she has a talent. If she's, if she's an eight fifty quality three K runner, you have to think that she right. could be able to flirt with the steeple Olympic standard. Um, yes. And there's not really any time to get the standard post NCAAs because it goes right into the trials. So maybe this is a chance for her to run out of her mind and try to get a a steeple standard to go to the Olympics. Yeah. Olympic trials. I think that's part of it too, is can you win your event at the NCAA championships and can you get a qualifier to get you into the trials and make you competitive at the trials? And if you could do both of those things – then that's a bonus. That makes sense. Anybody around the 5K right now on, on the NCAA side of things is going to have a tough time, you know, being a factor at the trials just because of how good that that event is. Basically one through, what, 10, 12, whereas the steeple, after those top couple, there's definitely room for people to, to make a run at it. Now it's time to talk about Gordon's favorite event. We need an intro for this we need a song yeah we need a little graphic <laughs> like like ernie you know ernie's neato stat of the night on uh tnt's inside <laughs> nba we need gordon's uh race of the year the men's 5k mm-hmm. dude if exactly. cole hawker then decides to join it and it's it's gonna be crazy and i, I had a thought the other day so we're talking about this 5k mm-hmm. right you have the two oregon guys you have the two iowa state guys Grohalva will likely be in there Nico Young will be in there. Eduardo Herrera, the BYU guys. Uh, probably the Campbell kid who just ran fast. And you'll have a lot, right? What if Yared Nagoose does it too? Because he hasn't run since his 5K <laughs> in March. Is Yared like low-key low just be like, hey, I'm going to run the 5K at NCAAs? Mm-hmm. If Yared Nagoose is in that, our heads will explode. Because <laughs> I know yours will. Because if it's not – if it's like a 13.30 pace, Yaren Goose could outkick them all. We forget about the Wait, why the do you do kick, this? Man. We forget about no, it. No, I don't forget why about do the do kick. But it, he's a 1,500-meter runner. That's what, that's what he so does Cole, outdoors. So is Cole Hawker. He's a 1,500-meter runner. And I mean, he's probably going to the 1,500 too. Yeah, well – You don't I know, know that. I just want to – it basically, I want – it would be crazy if Yared Nagus was in that race. If he was, let's just do a little fan fiction right here. 5K fan mm-hmm. fiction. How do you think it would play out? Let's let's trim the fat. We're gonna just we're just gonna say Connor Mance to Iowa State, to Oregon, to NAU in Grijalva and Young, and Yared Nagus. I'm sorry, Arkansas guys. I'm sorry, Campbell. I'm sorry. Eduardo Herrera, we just gotta we just gotta make it simple. How would that race play out? Assuming Nagoose, 
Hawker, Grijalva, and everyone else is in it. I think it's gonna go fast from the gun because you have the two state guys in there. Okay, so is go, there fast. go fast. Right. So it'll be like thirteen twenty pace yeah. for like the first two miles. Have you seen Wesley Kip too? It okay. might be world so record pace for the first twelve hundred. All, right. All right, so now give me a play by play of the final four hundred. Who's in the lead at the bell? Right now I would not pick against Cole Hawker. I'll just cut to the chase. I would not pick against Cole Hawker in a fast in a fast race. Or in any sort of race right now. I would not pick against him. But I don't think he's gonna do it. I don't think he's gonna run the the five thousand. I think he's gonna run the fifteen hundred. So I th- I think someone like I don't know that. Tier, Cooper Tier will be in the lead at the bell because he'll make a move eight hundred mm-hmm. out. And then yeah. uh once we get to the final three hundred, that's when Grijalva will make a pass and Grijalva will take the lead with 250 to go. Nagus, though, will still be sitting in fourth the entire time. And then Hawker will then make his kick, make a pass on the on Grijalva. And then Nagus will then be a late light kick in the final 50. But then Grijalva outleans them all. And that's how it'll be. So it'll be just very dramatic. Hayward Field will go wild. I don't think it's going to... I don't think hey. it would be that crowded if it's that fast. I think if it's that fast, I think it'll narrow it down a lot quicker because there'll be some people who aren't having that good a day, and there'll be some people who just can't hang with the pace. So it would be like Kip2, Kurgot, and maybe two other guys at halfway. Who those other two are, I don't know. I lean right now towards Hawker being one of them, but I don't think it'd be as crowded as you. Oh, we have a Gordon's Race of the Year graphic. Here, put this thing on. Oh, this is great. Anytime we talk about the 5K oh. now, there it is. There it is. Okay, talk about this. Ass. <laughs> No, we don't need to talk. I don't need to talk over this weird ass screenshot of my face. No, I um, think we do. I'm, no, West Coast I, Relays. Hey, Men's West Coast 5, Relays. 000. All right, 5K coming up. We have Louis Grijalva of NAU, John Dressel. Remember him? He's still in college, surprisingly, mm-hmm. of Colorado. Andrew Jordan of Washington, Dylan Maggard of Hoka, Sam Prakel, who's probably pacing, and then two NAU guys, Brody Hasty, Drew Bosley in the mix. Um, I think this is definitely – there are also some, like, Stanford guys and a few other Washington guys in this race. Mm-hmm. I think people, some coaches around the nation have recognized in the West that, hey, running 13.50 or 13.46 or 48 might not be yeah. enough to get in. So I think this is kind of like an insurance run for the likes of Andrew Jordan and other Washington guys and some of the Stanford guys. Um Clearly, Luis Grijalva is better than everyone here. Um, Angie Jordan's run 1330 indoors, so he can be there in that second position. But I guess the question I would have for you or myself or for everyone is how does Grijalva approach this after seeing four guys run the 1320, 13 teens? He's a 1316 guy from December, not that long ago. Yeah. Um, does he try to respond to that and be like, hey, Go out there and run like a 13 20 solo, or is he like, all right, I just need to run like 13 35 to get into the West? That's yeah, the question. I think it's more of the latter. If it was conditions like at Stanford, like we're seeing right now from this, from this kick that he had a few years back, you'd say, hey, just go for it. But I think it's just get a qualifying time and make sure you're in the meet. It's hard to do it if temperatures are in the 90s or 90s. So hey, you're breaking you're breaking you, up there in this kick. 
your audio is breaking up there in the kicks. Grijalva's presence on our screen has caused your audio to go in and out. Um, so we'll take maybe we'll take uh, Grijalva off the screen so we can see Kevin talk clearly. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I guess the question is, um, is there anything Grijalva could do in this race that would make you look at him as the favorite in the 5K over a hawker or or a tier? I, I mean, if he goes out and essentially solos like a 1320 flat, then yeah, I would think, okay, this guy's legit. If you're doing it in 88 degrees, you could have enough information to know, hey, if this was the same conditions that they had in Hayward or this was the same conditions that they have in a Stanford-type race, he'll be fine. But I just don't – what's the benefit in doing that? What's the purpose in doing that? I think – because whether they're gonna, they're just gonna try to get a qualifier, move on. He's already got a good PR, and this isn't a PR yeah. type situation. Look, would this many people be running in this sort of heat if it wasn't a top thirty-two make it and the men's five thousand is nuts this year? Like, would or would we see more people just staying home, running closer to home, or not even running this race? I think this is borne out because of the. The, the the pressure just in general of everybody across the NCAA of having good racing opportunities. So they have to go and run this race, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a ideal racing setup is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Travis, if you could go on T first and pull up the, the West prelim uh, descending order list, uh, we can show that to our people, but I'll, I'll bring it up. You, on you get phone. what I'm saying, right? Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah, what what's the current number? The current number thirty two time in the West is Garrett Reynolds, UC Santa Barbara, thirteen forty seven oh three. That's currently number thirty two, thirteen forty seven. Um, you throw in Grijalva, who will likely be a, in there. All of a sudden, the number thirty two time will be thirteen forty six point nine. Right, so. Angie Jordan mm -hmm. currently is ranked 29th, which is 1346. So if Angie Jordan's 29th of 1346, he probably looks at this race and is like, hey, I need to I need to raise my stock. John Dressel is ranked 17th right now. So yeah, I, I could see people going into this race being like, hey, we need to run in the basically break 1340 to kind of secure a spot. And maybe that's what Grijalva does. He's like, all right, I'll go up there, run 1338. I'm in. Let's let's get to work. Let's go to Big Sky and have fun there before we get ready for NCAA prelims. And it's in a way, it's almost defense, right? You're going there to just stay ahead of other people on the descending order list. It's not, I need to up the world's fast. It's just, hey, make sure my, my mark is ahead of all these other stack, you know, all these other people from arkansas from stanford yeah. from new mexico from colorado whatever the school may be hey this is where they're going well we're gonna go there we're gonna get in that the fastest section and make sure that we're not uh getting beat by them they're not moving up ahead of us on the list that's why i say yeah if he runs he didn't even need a pr if he does something in the 1320s depending on the conditions uh that would boost his stock in in my estimation i think we're gonna see though i think we're gonna see a a solid effort from him I think he's going to run quick. I think he's just going to secure that qualifier and then look ahead to the postseason.
I that's just a guess. Just a guess. I don't know. I'm wrong yeah, about any probably, of his race plans basically constantly. So he'll run thirteen forty pace and then close in fifty five. And run thirteen thirty five. That's probably what he'll do. Right. Which would be enough. Um, which would be enough. The best race, I think, of the deepest with the most names is the women's 5K. So it's the 5K 2.0, ladies night edition. It's pretty good. Look at the, the field we have here in the women's 5K. Here we go. We got Katie Izzo, Arkansas. Kelsey Camille, NC State. Ella Donahue moving up in the 5K, Stanford. Taryn O'Neill, top 10 cross-country finisher, NAU. Ellie Hines, NC State. Lauren Gregory, Arkansas. Dominic Claremont, NC State. Devin Clark, Arkansas. Ava Cohen, New Mexico. Frenthway of BYU. Herberg of Washington. Prowse of New Mexico. Richardson of San Francisco. Shadler of Washington. And Austin, Texas zone, Sarah Lancaster, who is coming off of 407-1500. She's a post-collegiate. Uh, Sarah Lancaster is an interesting story. She may win this race. Uh, she played basketball hmm. at Texas. Didn't pick up running until she was she let, until she graduated from school, and now in her thirties is becoming this like second wave of ability. She runs four oh seven in the fifteen hundred, which is good enough to qualify for trials. She's probably here trying to run sub fifteen twenty to qualify for mm -hmm. the trials. Pretty cool story for Sarah Lancaster. Keep an eye on her. Uh, Austin, Texas native. So that's pretty cool mm -hmm. for us because we're from Austin. But yeah, Katie Izzo, Donahue, O'Neill, Camille, Hines. What are your thoughts on this race? Hennis. Hennis. I think Hennis is a good, Hennis. is interesting because she didn't. Sorry. Uh, she, she's solid. Uh, She's she's been in the mix, right? She didn't have cross, but she had indoors, so she's not over raced. I I look out for her. Donahue's intriguing, moving up. O'Neill had a breakout season. Gregory, yeah, you're right. It goes it goes pretty deep, but I could see I could see Hennis or Donahue really taking a step forward in this in this race and putting down something quick. Ten uh, thousands. Morning edition 10,000s. You want to explain how the 10,000s are going to work, Gordon? Yeah, so for the 10K, uh, it's it's too hot in California for some reason. We almost had certain teams pull out because of the heat, but luckily they decided to show up and run this race. Uh, but they had 10K because of the heat. They're deciding to do it in the morning. So the races are, I think, at 7.30 a.m. and 8.10 a.m. West Coast time. But the rest of the meet doesn't start till 2 p.m. The uh, they're gonna basically do the little morning session of the 10ks, and the 10ks are actually gonna be pretty quick on the women's and men's side. On the women's side, uh, you have like some of the BYU women and NAU women trying to get some some good qualifier times for NCAA's. But on the men's side, you have. Blaze, the, the NAU guys, Blaze Farrow, Abdi Hamid Nur, mm -hmm. um, Ryan Raff, and they're all going to be rabbited by Nico Young uh, to try to get them to NCAA qualifiers. But ultimately, I could see them also trying to flirt with uh, getting a sub-28, which will qualify you for mm -hmm. the Olympic trials, right? Because 28 yeah. flat is Olympic trials cut off. I could see them trying to eye 27-59, trying to qualify yeah. for the trials. 
Yeah, I'll be interested to see just what the what the conditions allow there. Morning, a beautiful morning in the Central Valley of California. So check that all out uh, this weekend on Friday on Flow Track. Actually, during our Friday episode, Gordon, which you will not be a part Ooh. of, I'll have a guest. No, I'll have a guest host because you'll be traveling. I did not. I did not kick you off the show. But during the show, the 10Ks will have already started on Friday. Can we pull up? Do we have the schedule up? Can we get the schedule up for the folks? Is that possible? I don't know. Did you post that on the site? It's on the site, That's, yeah. It seems like something you would have done would have been to post the schedule. That's what I'm asking. There you go. Yeah. Boom. Zoom in. Enhance on that morning time. What time does that start? <laughs> Pacific time? Wow, that's early. 7.30 a.m. Pacific. So 9.30 a.m. our time. Men's 10,000. So I'll be doing live second screen commentary. No, just kidding. Uh, of the 10,000. So it goes all day. So you have Nico pacing the 10,000 in the morning, then chilling for about, I don't know, eight hours? 12 hours. And then coming back at 7, 10. Or, oh, no. Is, if he's in the fight, if he's in, he's 8.30. That's an interesting day of work there. And then you have those fast uh, steeple sections. Uh, 800 sections and 5,000 sections. Remember, those are all Pacific time. So you're going to have to stay up late if you're over there on the East Coast. Big shout out to on the West Coast on the East. Big shout out to someone who on a Friday night is up at 1.45 a.m. watching the women's mm -hmm. 5K go down. Um, tweet at us that you're still watching it if you're on the East Coast at 1.45 a.m. Much love. That'll be yeah. impressive. So, anyway. well, you sold that race. You this, sold that race. race. They they saved it for last the women's five k. Yeah. Uh, okay, I want, there's a couple questions in the chat I wanted to get to before we talk about the tin, latest in the Tinman coaching story. Uh, Lucas says Norman or Lyles in the three hundred. I would go Norman. Yes, I would go Norman as well. I would. Norman's close enough in the two. They've raced in times yeah. in the two hundred. To make me believe that the added distance would would be enough. Uh, here's hey, another one. I would argue yes. that Norman's new hundred meter PB from 2020, and Norman having beaten Lyles in a 200 recently, I could see Norman if he went for it could challenge Lyles in a 200 straight up. Let's say that. Yeah, he could challenge him. He could challenge him. I'd still talk Lyles right now it'd be but the once you get past that distance once you go beyond 200 you're getting closer to michael norman's best distance which is probably a 300 he'd probably in those lists of people who if the 300 was an event he'd be amazing at it because he's good in the two and good in the four another question here from luke not lucas we got one from lucas now one from luke this is one for you gordon when is hawker going to run an olympic qualifier that's a good question when is he indeed um, I could see it happening maybe at the Oregon Twilight meet in mm. not this weekend, but next weekend. Cause once you get to pack 12s, it's all she wrote, right? Cause then pack 12s two weeks later, prelims two weeks later, NCAAs. I don't mm -hmm. see it happening in any of those races. I could see Oregon trying to put together a really fast 1500 for Hawker, um, to qualify. I could see that. And here's and the thing, he Hawker does also doesn't even really do it. If he doesn't, I think he's gonna be fine because I think if he just runs literally three thirty 
so what's the standard 335 flat it's 335 yeah yes. he just needs to run like 337 five times and i think his world ranking will get him up there that's what i think when is he going to be able to do it five times five well he's already run it once indoors right even he's run his 350 he has two and he has two fast indoor performances right i would say yeah yeah and then he has a, yeah. a a most recent fast time um from he ran like a 338 right so he's just had to mm-hmm. run sub 340 like two or three more times and i think he should his world ranking should start populating because right now he doesn't have enough uh races mm-hmm. under his belt in the 1500 to populate yeah. in the world ranking so that's why he's a a no right now in world ranking or olympic standard so but yeah Oregon twilight that's what i think he does yeah. <coughs> i know talked about this before. how aware are do you think these athletes are of the world ranking situation when it comes to what they need to do to move up and where they currently stand i think some of them are aware um i think they though most of them aren't trying to game the ranking system they're just thinking hey just get the standard you know they don't want to i think they will become super aware of it once they realize that they're not getting the standard and then they're going to be like mm-hmm. okay where's my world ranking all right does that mean if i get top three at the trials my ranking will boost to a high enough yeah. place you know but i think most athletes aren't even bothering to think about that they're just thinking like hey man just run 335 so yeah that's what i think last topic before we go actually michael wants us to do a 10 minute freestyle on jacob ingerbertson's running career we'll save that one for friday when yeah. we have our guest who's not jacob the way uh talk about let's talk about the tinman situation the tinman story we we're going to talk about it on monday and then news broke so we waited we run a low on time but we can put up here the the statement that Tinman Elite released uh, about how they parted ways with their coach, Tom Schwartz. Um, I'll just read a portion of it. He says, it became clear to the team that Coach Schwartz's growing commercial coaching business and other pursuits made him unable to provide the individualized attention that the team needed in order to stay healthy and succeed long-term. Despite parting ways with Coach Schwartz, the team has continued to uphold the mutually agreed upon compensation we committed to provide in our initial coaching agreement, providing him time and support as he determines his next steps, which Coach Schwartz well and thank him for his time with the team. And then they say they're focused on the trials. But then shortly after that, there was uh, his wife, uh, Let's Run, wrote an article, I guess it aggregated posts that she on, on the message board. But basically there was a bullet point response to what happened. Um, I'm not going to read all 12 bullet points. It was uh, rather detailed in some instances, and in other parts it was somewhat vague, alluding to like, well, I wonder if uh, if this person wasn't involved, then maybe they wouldn't have left Coach Schwartz, and they don't really name the person that's involved. Uh, what was your what was your takeaway, Gordon? I, I I'm guessing you read all of the the bullet points and the the thousand plus word response here from from Schwartz's wife. Well, here's the thing. 
I think it's kind of ridiculous what is going on the more and more you think about it. Because uh, I forget who... Um, trying to find the person who tweeted something. Uh, I can't. I can't remember the person, so I, sh- I, I won't say it. Um, but it is weird that if you read, first of all, Schwartzman's wife was like using the words "fact," this, 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 fact, this, 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 fiction, this, this, this. It's like a little bit, a little crazy, and basically, it definitely read that at least Schwartz's wife is really reads the comments. She's really into the comments. She really reads the message thread that she, she reads the boards, which is kind of like, Hey, you probably shouldn't do that. And you shouldn't let a bunch of teenagers or whoever is commenting like, LOL, Tim man sucks or whatever. You shouldn't let that be reality because it's not reality. The reality is the people who are around you and the people mm-hmm. who actually care about what you're doing. Um, you shouldn't let anonymous yeah. posters affect your well-being. But yeah, anyway, basically, Tammy, first of all, number one, why are we hearing from the wife of Tinman and not from Tinman himself? And also, number two, why are we hearing from the mother of Drew Hunter and not Drew Hunter himself. It's very mm. weird. It's like a game of telephone of what is going on here. Um, I can kind of, this is what I think. I could be wrong. I'm not reporting this. This is just Gordon's opinion of what I think is happening. I think Drew Hunter and their team, the 10 men elite people, I think they felt that Coach Schwartz wasn't doing things that the way they wanted it to be done. And I think at first, when they were young and didn't have as much power, and just like, yeah, when like your you're, you're freshman year, you're listening to everything your coach says, right? Freshman year, coach, you say everything, yeah, okay. But then by the time senior year, you feel like you you know yourself better than your coach knows you, so you feel like you can kind of do things more on your own. And I think that the athletes kind of felt more empowered as years went on to be like, hey, we want to do this solo now. We don't need you anymore. Thanks. Have a good one. And unfortunately, the way Tin Men Elite's whole team was structured was not a typical way it happens. It wasn't structured from top down. It was structured from bottom up. And by that, I mean Drew Hunter, who is the athlete, was in charge as opposed to the brand and the coach being in charge. And – because of that, the people at top, which was the coach, are expendable, and it makes it it's like, it's like an upside down pyramid. It's just like what's going on, and it tipped over, and now it has this whole thing with, um, he said, she said. You have the co- the coach's well, wife publicly talking shit on the athlete to be like, oh, Drew was influenced by teammates to make the wrong move. Uh he, but like, come on, like. We're all adults. Basically, it's a bad breakup, and everyone is going at each other. But let's, I, I could go on and on. I want to bring up this recent tweet, though. Oh, wait, before we put it up, what, go. Sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, athletes hire coaches, right? The coach, when you get to a pro, the, the coach works for the athlete. So that's important to clarify. But I think you made a good point last episode when you said the difference was here. 
the coach had to leave the group. The athlete didn't leave the group because of the way the, the group was structured. And some of the lists in here, like it obviously had to do with money. She talks about the salary that he got. She talks about the, the training plans that were sold that he didn't get the money from that. That's the coach that the athletes got talks about the other, uh, you know, the racing schedule that the athletes would pick and the coach didn't have say in, she talks about the apparel, like sales and everything like that. And then she mentions that the coach got mad about them using inappropriate language on social media. I mean, if this whole thing broke apart because of inappropriate language on social media, yeah. then the bond between them really wasn't as close uh, <laughs> as it was purported to be. That just does not seem to measure up. But here's the key sentence here in what she wrote. I guess we as a family learned a valuable lesson that that is to never trust a bunch of 20 year olds and relocate without a solid contract backed by a lawyer. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. Why were lawyers involved? Why was there a contract here? A clear understanding of what the responsibilities were, who had a uh, financial stake in what, what money was going to go to whom and how. And I think, you know, they needed to, they needed to clarify that. And from the, the coaching perspective, like he needed to clarify that if he wanted stuff involved, like if he wanted um, the training plan, a portion of the training plans, et cetera, et cetera, like that needed to be spelled out. Like they thought that they were just gonna, he was just gonna coach this group and there was just gonna be a handshake agreement, uh, uh, you know, well, a like, signature on a napkin and that's it. How long has Tin Mendeley been selling gear and apparel like i mean over two years i don't know how long yeah i mean it's since been obviously right, right 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 it's been yeah, yeah at least and, a couple of years and it's not until there's a separation when you're going to complain about not getting royalties for your name it's like you should have been like hey when they made their first t-shirt you've been like hey you guys are selling a t-shirt with my name on it. I think we should probably work out an agreement. Uh, this name, you guys named this team after me. So I should probably right. have some licensing deal or whatever, figure it out. Right. And be professional. If we're going to start a business, which is what Tim and elite did. They literally started businesses. They were selling t-shirts. They were yeah. a social media company. They were a production company. They were hiring a, they were hiring someone to shoot and edit videos there's salaries involved. Mm -hmm. You should dot your I's and cross your T's. And I think, I think Tin Man, Coach Schwartz, kind of just took everything for granted and be like, oh yeah, well, like, they're we're just like having fun making T-shirts and we're just like doing this stuff. It's it's fine. Well, like, whatever. We're all on the same team. It's like no, when money is starting to transfer and things are starting to grow, yeah, yeah. you gotta start getting uh getting it under you. And if you look at this uh, tweet um, that we have here, put it up. Apparently, um, on December 1st of 2020, Tin Man Elite filed three trademarks for their name. So we put that up. Can we put it up on the screen, Alon? Is Alon there? We might have lost. There he is. There he is. Uh, so, <laughs> Alon's yeah, done with us. Right, like, that was good. Yeah, Alon's done with us. And I, I believe yeah. if you scroll down, the person who tweeted this is Jeff. He tweeted it. I think it's all on uh, the person who filed the trademark is Drew Hunter. It wasn't Tinman Schwartz. So 
Interesting. This yeah. happened. This happened December well, 2020, and then apparently the, this team kind of broke up. Not just today or th- this past week. It was a few months ago. So this could have been right before it all happened. Um, this is just you kind of can feel bad for Tom Schwartz, right? Because he you could have the perspective he got hoodwinked by a bunch of twenty year old twenty year olds as Tam as Tammy, his wife, says. But at the same time, are you really being hoodwinked? You should also like be try to like he had an opportunity to take control of the situation. And he didn't. He let Drew Hunter be in control of the situation. And maybe the reason why Drew was in control of the situation because he was the one with the big Adidas contract. So he kind of had the power. This whole thing, yeah. there's mistakes on both ends. You could argue there's mistakes on Tin Man, the, 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 the athlete side, for letting it get to this and not figuring out a way to, you know, not let the, the breakup look this bad because maybe if they if they would have been more about the professional side of like hey involving tin men and then when we do break up with him it's a lot more amicable the way when a normal athlete leaves a different training group there's no like oh my god colleen quigley left bowerman it's like all right no it's just like colleen quigley left bowerman because she wants something different yeah kate grace left bowerman because she wants something different you know so here's the thing though when you when you make a statement like I guess we learn never to trust trust a bunch of 20-year-olds without a lawyer. Like, I'm going to err on the side of thinking, yes, you're correct, and that's on you, right? As a as yeah. a professional coach, as someone who aspires to be a professional coach, as someone who already is a professional coach in some capacity, the online coaching, right? He's getting money from high school athletes and athletes that are farther along in their career that you should have this stuff written out if that's your desire. Some your mic on the chat question you think the origin uh, of the feud is results driven i mean i think it's it's both right i mean if 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 they're smashing prs week after week you can figure out a way to make it work because then everybody's happy i think when there's some discontent i think it it spreads and then the, there's the whole lack of respect and then all that stuff that grows but i think it is 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 related to both but obviously if you had, um, you know, if it, if they were performing better on the track as well too, I think some of it would not have seemed as as bad because it seemed like everybody was just, you know, there were there were uh, a lack of respect going around, like or a feeling that- of a lack of respect. But it's like I don't I don't know what to say when it's like you're trying to, you're trying to be a professional coach. Right. And she talks about he only got a beginning teacher salary. Listen, first of all, as someone who was a beginning teacher uh, at one point, <laughs> salary wasn't great, but detract. That's a low-key dunk on teachers, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I don't appreciate it, uh, number one. But like, okay, so you have – you're getting paid a beginning teacher salary to coach this group, and then you're also continuing to coach – your other athletes with your online coaching business, you're making a living. Are you getting enough? Well, I mean, that's for you and the group to decide. But look, how many people were sponsored in this group? How much money did they have in this group? First of all, they weren't flush with cash, right? Drew was getting an Adidas contract. Hunter had an Adidas contract. Parsons have an Adidas contract? Maybe. But then there's... Maybe. Well, and and in the beginning, maybe not. Maybe since then he has. 
but you had this whole, like you said, a business, right? That they were creating that was supporting all these other athletes and all these other endeavors. I don't think anybody was really getting rich off of this, off of this group. And there's not that many pro coaches out there who are making a, I hate to disabuse people of that notion right now, but on a money in, in the sport. So if, if you're making even a quote unquote beginning teacher salary as a baseline, and then you're making more money on top of that because of other coaching gigs that you have, uh, you're not too far out of the, the ordinary when it comes to pro coaching. I was talking to someone about this whole situation and 10 minute elite is a very polarizing team. Like I said, from a podcast or two ago about how people like to dunk on there whenever they don't do well. And people kind of jealous of their success on social media and all that stuff. And I, I argued that like, they're probably more successful in my mind to Bowerman because they have a business model that, is growing their brand as opposed to Bowerman isn't really growing their brand as much, you know, they're definitely better athletically, but that only moves the needle so much in this generation of people who want to see things on the internet, all that good stuff. Anyway, what sure. I'm trying to say is I think there's 10, there are a lot of people who are like, who are 10 men supporters and a lot of people, 10 men elite. There are a lot of people who are 10 men elite fans and a lot of people who are 10 men elite anti fans. Right. And after this whole situation, the same people who supported Tim Mentally are going to continue to support Tim Mentally. And the same people who yeah. didn't like Tim Mentally are just going to have this little extra thing, reason not to like Tim Mentally. Nothing is changing here with the demographics of the fandom of Tim Mentally. Like the people who liked them before are going to still like them after. People who didn't like them before aren't going to like them after. Right. But like and we're, the, the world's going to keep going around. And. These guys are going to continue to train like they're not like life is a move. Like we're going to forget yeah. like this is, well, listen, this is going to be old news and like life is going to move on. Why do people, why do people not like them? Cause they post online. That's yes. it. That's the reason why <laughs> And people, because there's such a vacuum and they try. for any. Yeah. And they try. Oh my goodness. Oh heavens. They, they put posts on Instagram. Facts. Oh no. Oh, how, how dare they? I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, but there's such a vacuum in the sport of people who put their stories out there that anybody that does, you immediately get that 50, 50 polarization of a bunch of people love it. And then the other half just hates on it just cause it's out there just cause there's nothing else to comment on. But you have to ask yourself with this, with this, like, why, why are people so mad about them? Like, what is it that engenders? like such a backlash like you can say oh they should be faster well i'm sure they would say that themselves everybody wants to be faster welcome to professional running everybody wants to be faster wants to make more money and wants to win more medals you're not saying anything novel at that point all they're doing is just trying to improve and posting it online which is exactly what most people would do given the situation right all the people sitting commenting i do too i mean i'm sure everybody posts on strava and comments on their own social media when they run their 17 minute 5k right but it, but like when they do it all of a sudden it's it's uh, people get angry about it it's yeah. just it's it's pretty incredible and then if you're gonna like if you're gonna take their if you're gonna take an oppositional point of view in this case it's like all right well so you're 
you're of the agreement that this thing broke up because they cussed in their social media posts. Like that's where you want to land. That's who you want to roll with in this argument. Like, I mean, what are we, what are we doing here? I don't know. It, the the relationship ran its course. The relationship ran its course, right? And that's fine. Yeah. Listen, Jenny Simpson, switch coaches. She's got a gold medal and a bunch of other medals. Matt Sensowitz has switched coaches. He's got a gold medal, right? I mean, this, this stuff happens. Emma Coburn has switched coaches. She has a gold medal. Switching coaches happens. It's, it's not a big deal. Difference is here, all the dirty laundry is aired, and now we have patents being posted online, and 13 bullet points is written. That's the only, that's the only difference here is there's just all the, the dirty laundry is, is, is being aired. But the idea that you change a coach is not that big of a deal. Hey, for the record, I Sam, I'm not taking shots at a 17-minute 5K. I, I cannot run a 17-minute 5K right now. All I'm saying is... Do you know who can run a 7... Do you know who can run a 17-minute 5K? JoJo can run a 17-minute 5K. We yes. all know that, Gordon. Okay, so all I'm saying is... Everybody's posting everything for the most part. So why do we not expect pros to post when it's their job to post? If you're not offended by your friend posting about their turkey trot results, why are you getting so mad about a professional group who has a financial interest in sharing their story posting? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's it's the equivalent of it's the equivalent of people say you can't have a brand unless you are literally Olympic champions. Like it's like all people who only right, people right. who can do brand things are Bowerman. And Ineos, the Ineos guys breaking two. You yeah, need to break two in the that's marathon. It. It's Kipchoge and Bolt. They're the only ones who are allowed to have a brand and talk be professionals. If you're a 13-35K runner, you can't do that, apparently, according to the rules of the unwritten rule book. Stupid. Come on. You but, can do whatever you but want. Look, here's the it's thing. the internet. Those are the people who don't need to post on social media because they have so much money yeah. coming from other spaces. How many tweets has Kawhi Leonard sent? in his life right? he doesn't need to Ilya yeah. kipchoge doesn't yeah, need to true. tweet he's still gonna tweet bolt's still gonna tweet but they don't need to the people who need to are the people the big big cross-section of not gold perennial gold medal winners and everybody else that's the people who need to because they're the ones yeah. who are trying to to make it in the sport and make a living i don't know it's interesting samuel also says technically how coaches make it salary do but here's the thing teach all day long that's their job they're not just coaching so they're getting paid to teach as well so if you get a teacher salary but you're not teaching you're doing pretty well you're doing pretty well because you're not writing lesson plans for six periods a day of english nine and english nine honors you're not doing that right you're just coaching i think people would be I mean, tell me if I'm wrong here, Gordon. You've been around this longer than I have. Wouldn't people be surprised if they found out how much money most professional coaches make or just professional people in the sport make? Would they not be surprised that it's not as high as they think? Yeah. And can I have a Can I do a confession? Can sure. I have a confession? This whole 10-man elite main... Yeah, you no, know, I've never run a 17... <laughs> no, I ran 17.30 maybe. Definitely not at the MLB fan cave. Yeah. <laughs> no, the MLB, no, no, definitely not then. Um, but when 
I I'm just honest. Maybe I am naive and I should have known this, but I didn't know Tin Man Elite's name came from the nickname of their coach. I just right, thought right. it was their name. And so I think there's a lot of people who are probably like me who don't really associate Tin Man Elite who I, I mean now I know so I do associate it but right, who right. maybe the first they don't really associate the phrase Tin Man Elite to like the way Bowerman is because you know Bowerman is like the famous Bowerman coach right yeah. so I don't know I I think it's it's in the end we're just gonna move on coach Tom Schwartz continue to coach high school kids around the country to four flat miles and it's going to be mm-hmm. great for him and 10 men elite will continue to do their thing uh they'll continue to win races and continue to lose races and the world will continue to go around and we will find a new thing to freak out about on the internet in a few weeks that's what's gonna happen so that's in the running in the running world specifically yeah in the running world and people people get mad about people posting on the internet that they voluntarily choose to look at. It's great. All right. We'll leave it there. Uh, Overtime. What's my favorite, what's my favorite <laughs> book? Michael wants to know what's my favorite book to teach. Now we're getting into teacher talk here, man. Those uh great Gatsby was good. Uh, but I'll go into that more on Friday's show with our guest host. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Also, uh, also a winner. Kids love Romeo. Lord and of the flies. Lord of flies. I what taught Lord, Lord of the flies Fly? as well too. Yeah, kids love Lord of the Flies too. They think it's a trip the first time they they read it. Also, it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. Whoa, they're killing someone. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. Thanks to Travis and thanks to Lon for producing safe levels. Gordon, thanks everybody for tuning in. Remember post relays on Friday, and we'll have a special guest co-host with me on Friday. See you guys then. Subscribe.